This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, so we're now in James chapter 1, verse number 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we, notice that, should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And the reason for those admonishments are given to us as we talked a little bit last Wednesday night about. Verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And we spent a great deal of time last Wednesday night talking about the big difference between what the Bible would teach to be righteous anger and unrighteous anger and how that unrighteous anger leashes our or unleashes our unrighteous tempers. And as a result of the world seeing poor conduct and behavior displayed from those of us who proclaim the name of Christ certainly not only brings a reproach to your personal testimony, but it also brings a reproach to the name of Christ. And I hope that you have remembered some of these truths and uh, have you, you've considered the importance of that. So maybe some of you are making life-changing adjustments. Maybe you realize that. Maybe you're saying, you know what? This attitude of mine is not really pleasing to the Lord. It's not drawing people to Christ. It's repelling them. Uh, my frowns, my frustrations, my, my uh, heavy uh, negative perspectives, none of that, none of that is bringing an ounce of glory to God. And, and you're saying perhaps I want to radically change. I want to radically have God to come in and interrupt all of that and change. And I want people to see the joy of the Lord. I want people to see that, yes, in Christ you can be happy, that the truth of God has set you free. And so that's my prayer for you tonight, that none of what we're doing, we're not just wasting time here on Wednesday night having a 30, 40-minute broadcast. We're doing something that I hope and pray is life-changing. When we open the Word of God, we're saying, Spirit of the living God, speak to me. Have your own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Mold me and make me. And so the Word of God, as we open it up and examine these beautiful pages of Scripture, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. Yes, it does enlighten us in the scriptures. It does teach us God's word. But yet, as James has already said, we cannot be just a hearer of the word. We have to be a doer. Now, let's continue tonight in the study. Verse 21, look at this. Wherefore, now, that's almost like the word therefore. It's therefore reason or it's here for a reason, wherefore. When you think about what James has just told us to do, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Wherefore, because, is basically what he's saying here. Verse 21, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness. Look at this carefully. I want you to underline this word tonight in your Bible as we study the word together. The engrafted, underline that, the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. 
What is the word? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. John's gospel, chapter one, verse one. The word is able, according to the scriptures, the engrafted word is able to save our souls. Jesus is the word and he has made it very clear in John chapter 14. He says, I who am the word, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man cometh to the father but by me. You know, we live in a world today with so many different uh, political views and and even uh religious uh, ideas and uh, all kinds of things that are going on that is just scrambled up. And, and, you know, and, and I'm so thankful. I really am. I'm thankful that every man can worship in the way that they choose because that also gives us the same liberty and freedom right now anyway. And we choose to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord God of the scripture, the Lord God of the Bible. And this is what we believe. We believe, yes, he is the only begotten son of God. We believe, yes, he is the savior of the world. And we believe as Christian people that no one can go to heaven but by and through Jesus Christ, our faith in Christ and him alone. The shed blood on the cross. Jesus shed God's own blood. God raised him from the dead. Because he lives, we can live also. This is what we believe. And the Bible says the engrafted word Notice that, the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Well, that's a powerful verse of scripture. But I want you to notice this more carefully. God's word is a graft. What does this mean, the engrafted word or the graft? Let's study a little bit about that tonight. That might be a word that you're not uh, normally uh, familiar with in scripture. Maybe tonight you've read the Bible through three or four times in your lifetime. And you've never really taken time to park here at this passage and to put this particular phrase under a biblical microscope, so to speak. Well, let's look at this just for a little bit tonight. The Bible says this, the engrafted word. Let's talk about that. That's a phrase we don't use a lot. And because we don't, I want to spend just a few minutes with it. God's word is a graft. Now, we're reading it from the word of God. And what does that mean, preacher? It's an instrument. God's word is an instrument that he uses, allows the Holy Spirit to use to direct our behavior. That's what this means. The engrafted word of God, which is able to save our soul. We have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth right here. But also with this book, with this word, this inspired word of God, we we have this graft. This is an instrument. This Bible is an instrument that God allows God the Holy Spirit to use to direct the behavior of our lives. That's what that means. The graft or the word is teaching us how to behave This graft, this word, this instrument is teaching us on things that we should accept and things that we should reject. Because you see, you just don't live in a world, as a believer, as a Christian, as a born-again child of God, you just don't accept everything. 
Everything coming down the highway is not of this book, is not of this graph, it's not of this instrument. And the Holy Spirit of God, now listen, he uses the word as a graft, as an instrument to direct, to lead us in conduct, in our behavior, in word, in deed, in thought, things that we should receive and things that we should reject. Now, when you look at this, it breaks it down a little bit in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. That's talking about the dirt and the filth and the impurity of the world. And then notice this word, superfluity. That's that's something that's above the ordinary. That's in reference to um, elevated evilness or elevated wickedness. And I know that leads into a discussion. Well, preacher, is, is, are their sins more worse than other sins? Well, from God's perspective, sin is sin. And all sin is, is wretched and is a defilement in his eyes. From a human perspective, yes, there are, as we, even, even our own humane laws dictate to us that Something may be less than this, and this may be more than that. The truth of the matter is for all of sin, and sin is sin in the eyes of God. But there are things that we all know. This, we really don't need uh, the Holy Spirit to tell us that there's a difference between uh, terrible and unthinkable things. Uh, as believers, we're not solely merely guided by our conscience but we do have one and we know where common sense lies and we know uh, right from wrong the Holy Spirit gives us an overwhelming sense of direction as believers and it governs the Holy Spirit he governs our behavior and our action but this word superfluity is talking about uh, extraordinary type of evilness and wickedness Naughtiness, this is not something that children refer to in in the Christmas season. Santa Claus checking his list for those who've been naughty and nice. That's not what this word reflects at all. Naughtiness refers to depraved, depraved, wicked desires. So if you can write some of this down tonight, it will help you when you come back to your own personal study in this chapter. Now, these three things that the Holy Spirit moved upon the heart of James to write, you see this now, none of that is a reflection of what Christ does with our hearts on the inside. When we have become a new creature in Christ, when we've been changed, saved, when we have become born again, redeemed, none of these things are the works of the Holy Spirit. This is not the fruit that a born again child of God ought to be producing in their life. However, because we still have what is called the old Adamic sin nature. All of us still have it. We have to remember this. Unlike what some denominations teach, 
And there are some that teach and adhere to this practice. They say once a person has been saved, then if they ever commit any other sin or if they commit any other sin on a repetitious basis, then they have forfeited their salvation. They've lost their salvation. Uh, Eternal security is something that we believe in, but it's not the subject of tonight. But I do want to say this, that because we still have what is called the old Adamic sin nature, because we still possess this. You see, when we got saved, we did not become perfected. We became born again. We became born again children of God. We became washed in the blood. We became redeemed. We have a home that's reserved for us in heaven. Yes, praise God. Thank God. Yes, we do. But we will always be until the day of the rapture. We will always be sinners saved by grace in an old body that's subjected to any sin that anybody's ever done at any point in time on this planet. We will all, every one of us, be subjected to that. And we will all experience temptations. And some temptations will have victories over. Some temptations we will give in to. But the point being is this, because we still have what is called that old Adamic sin nature, we have not been perfected. We do not have glorified bodies yet. We live in this world full of sin and we have this old sin nature. We will sin. Every one of us will sin until the day that our bodies are gloriously changed, fashioned and likened into the Lord's own until the time we drop in our grave or the time that we're translated in the rapture, we will all sin up until those points. Evil is present everywhere on this planet. We all know that. But what James is teaching us is this. When you are saved, now you've reached a place and point in your earthly life where you have to, as we talked about last week, you have to bring your body under subjection. James says this, notice carefully. In verse 21, he uses this phrase. He says, lay apart. Or that that word means to lay aside, to bring your body under subjection, to set yourself apart from the world. We talked about sanctification last week. To set yourself apart from the world. And James says this, wherefore lay apart all filthiness. Now look at this. He's saying, put off the old man and put on the new man. And he's saying, even though you have to live in an ugly world, you have to live in an imperfected world, you you have to live among the struggles, you have to live among the evil, you have to live among the wickedness, you have to live among the naughtiness, you have to live among the filth, you have to live among the superfluity. He said, in spite of all of that, he said, bring your body under subjection. Set yourself apart every day. Determine that you're going to walk with the Lord, walk in his statutes, walk in his ways. And I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read for you in verse number 9 and 10. This goes hand in hand with what we're talking about tonight. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 9 and 10. Paul said this, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, Okay, the engrafted word is God's instrument that directs us in our behavior. So what James is saying is let let this graft, let the grafted word 
direct you in such a place, in such a way, where we're not yielding to the lifestyle of the old man. He says, put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Look at this. After the image of him that created him. So the engrafted word is God's instrument that he allows the Holy Spirit to use to direct our behavior. And we should always be a reflection of Christ. Now look again at James 121. Flip back, James 121. And it says this, and receive the latter part of the text, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. James is saying, receive this now with meekness. I want to emphasize that everything the word speaks of in reflections of Jesus is given to us for examples. It's given to us as illustrations that we might live thereby. We might walk thereby. We might walk in his ways. And when I read this word meekness, realizing that it is given to us in reflection of Jesus as an example of Jesus, it reminds me of a scripture in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. Maybe you can turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. One of my favorite verses of the scripture. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Study of me. Jesus says, get to know me. Learn of my words, learn of my deeds, learn of my behavior. He says, learn of me. And then he says this, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So when you go back to James chapter 1, verse number 21, again, we're talking about the engrafted word. This word, the Holy Scripture, is engrafted. It's referring to something that is sown, something that is rooted, something that is implanted in our hearts, in our minds, in our behavior. And listen, it's, it's a real important thing to know that we have to daily do this. We have to daily discipline ourselves. We have to daily function in such a way that we realize what's at stake. Other people are watching us. Other people are looking to us, especially if we made our testimony known, especially if we've made our profession of faith known. People are looking at us. They're watching us. And we have to be a representative. We are ambassadors, Paul said. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are representing heaven. We're representing the Lord Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We on this earth, we are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. And we need to represent him well. It's our goal and mission to draw people to the Lord and not repel him from them. Now look at this. In James chapter 1, verse 22. Because James is not only talking about things that we need to reject, so to speak, but he's talking about things that we need to resolve, things that we need to make right. In verse 22, he says, 
but be ye hearers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Now, I want you to think about this because this is a great passage of scripture. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. He tells us the things that we need to put off. And we read that. If you look back quickly here, we read of those things in verse number 21. But now he's telling us things that we need to resolve. Verse 22, there has to be a willing cooperation on our part to work with, to partner with the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have to cooperate. That comes from surrender. And surrender is a big word. We have to have if if God is going to have the preeminence in our life, then we have got to surrender to the engrafted word. We've got to reject some things, and then we have to resolve some things. If we surrender to it, if we allow the engrafted word to direct our behavior, and that means whether we are rejecting things that we know that does not honor God. And if we are resolving things in our life that we know that could help us to be better Christians, if we allow, if we surrender to the Holy Spirit, then the engrafted word, this book, this instrument of God, if we surrender to it, then we will be amazed how, in fact, it can indeed transform our lives. And again, listen very carefully, and I want to emphasize this tonight. The engrafted word is given to us to direct the change in our behavior, but God does not force this engrafted word upon us. In fact, God doesn't force anything in this engrafted word upon us. It has to come from our heart. It has to come from surrender. We have to yield to him. We have to give it to him. As Christian people, now look at verse 22, be hearers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So here's the thing, as Christian people, we've got to do more than just listen. We've got to be willing to do what it says. And then I will emphasize this. You can't look at this engrafted word as if it were a menu in a restaurant. You cannot open it up and say, you know what? I'd like to have some of this and some of that, but I don't like that and I don't like this. And, uh, And so does this come with that? Many people, believe me, live like that. That doesn't please the Lord. That's not acceptable to the Lord. So here's the thing. We have to become, when you read this, not only hearing the word, but James is emphasizing that we've got to do what it says. And Jesus gives us a stern graphic illustration of what James is talking about in the closing of what was called the Great Sermon on the Mount. And I want to pause here just for a minute to look at that. So take your Bibles and go back with me to the Gospel of Matthew just for a moment. And I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 7. And let's let's pick up with verse number 24. Because Jesus is using this story here in Matthew um, to 
later reflect on what James is talking about in James chapter 1, verse number 22. And the thought that we're studying tonight right now is how that we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should also be doers of the word. And this is the example the Lord gives in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24. Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Look at this now. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Shall be likened unto a foolish man. Which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So let me ask you this. Are you more than just a hearer of the word, or are you a doer of the word? Very simple. Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Are you a fisher of men? You didn't just hear that. You're doing that. Jesus said to take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, are you doing that? You didn't just hear it. Are you doing that? Jesus said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. Are you doing that? You're just hearing that. The word says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Do you hear that? Are you doing that? You see, the word, the engrafted word, is, is an instrument that God allows the Holy Spirit to use to direct our life. And this is what he's saying. He said, my word, the engrafted word, is full of truth and promise and direction and hope, forgiveness and love. It's full of that. And the Holy Spirit has given it to you. All of this is inspired. Genesis to Revelation, it is inspired. By the way, don't let anybody try to convince you today in the world that we live that this book is out of date, it's out of time, it's out of tune, it's irrelevant. Listen, don't don't go that route. We're living in a changing world. We're living in a world where nothing is the same anymore. Everything is different. Everything about the world that we have known in the past is completely different. And there is a movement upon the land today to limit and to regulate and to dictate what can be preached in this book and what cannot be preached. I want you to understand something and make it known very clearly in your heart, in your mind. Listen carefully. This book is the inspired word of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, can somebody say amen? From Genesis to Revelation, it is the inspired, holy, inerrant, invariable it's the word of God. Nothing can be changed. Nothing can be taken out. It is the word of God. All 66 books. I'm getting ready to preach. Somebody help me. Somebody say amen. Now listen. All of it is God's word. All of it is to be cherished. And it's given to us, listen, not just so that we hear it, 
But God expects the engrafted word to take such a root in our heart that what this engrafted word says that we do, not just here, but that we do in our conduct and in our walk with him. People, I, I come across many reasons in my lifetime why people read this book. And you, you might know people who read it for a majority of different reasons as well. Some people read the Bible because they're just simply fascinated with its history. And truly, the Bible is a history book. It's filled with a lot of history. Some people read it because they are intrigued with the philosophy, if we use that word. And I don't usually try to mingle that word with the word of God. But some people perceive the book, the Bible, the engrafted word to be a book of philosophies. Some people try to look at this book, the engrafted word, they are intrigued with, with the laws and the legislation from the Mosaic law. Some people read the book, they open the book because they want to try to find fault in it. They want to try to find some kind of contradiction or discrepancy in it. Some people open this book and they, they want to polish up on their Greek or their, their Hebrew or their Aramaic and they want to have a bigger, uh, bigger term in their vocabulary so they, they look at it for that reason. Some people open the engrafted book, the engrafted word. Some people use it simply for devotions or, or supplement uh, to other commentaries. Some people study, they look at the book just to uh, pick the doctrines out, to study the doctrines. But some reading and studying from individuals, listen carefully, never forget this. Reading the Bible is not just about reading words in here, hearing what's in here. But if we're going to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, then here's what happened. When we open this book, the engrafted word of God, this book demands a response. Let me say that again. This book, the engrafted word, demands a response. And if we're going to respond to this book, then we have got to do more than just listen to it. If all we're doing is listening, it goes in this ear and out this ear. James is saying this, don't just be a hearer. He's saying be a doer. And when we open this book, we hope and pray that God would allow us to hear from heaven, but it demands a response. We have to do what it says. Now, God's not going to force us to do it. But as Christian people born again, who are led by the Spirit, then we will do what it says. And so that makes us not just a hearer of the word, but a doer as well. So I want you to look now at James chapter 1 and verse 23. And I want to read this for you tonight. For if any be a hearer of the word, look at this very carefully now. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. 
Well, let's talk about that just for a minute. Because James, he continues on to drive home the importance of responding to the word. That requires action, movement, doing. It makes us to become a doer of the word. You know, one of the classic examples, I think, of just hearing or saying, which you could categorize those two in the same neighborhood, so to speak, hearing and saying, and then put the slash mark and then put doing. I think one of the most classic illustrations of the Old Testament that I could give you um, comes from a character in the Old Testament who had a very warm relationship with David, and his name was Jonathan. And I want you to see something, because I'm thinking right now of the the place where the Philistines had gathered and the children of Israel were on the other side, and there was a valley, the Valley of Elah between them. And on a daily basis, Goliath, he would come down to the Valley of Elah and he would antagonize the children of God. He would antagonize the children of Israel. He would mock them. He would try his best to entice somebody to come out and fight him. He would curse them. He would call them names. He would curse God. He he would do everything he possibly could do through the course of a day, day in and day out, same thing over and over. He'd walk, here comes this big giant dragging all this armor out to the Valley of Elah. He's standing out there and he's challenging somebody, come out here and fight me. I wonder, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I wonder how many days did Jonathan and Saul, Saul was another thing altogether, but let's focus on Jonathan just for a minute, who was a great warrior. Saul's son. How many days did the great warrior Jonathan stand on the other side of the valley and watched Goliath come out and mock the children of God day after day after day and did nothing? He stood over there and he heard. He heard Goliath mocking the children of God. He heard Goliath defying God, cursing God. He heard all of Goliath's sayings, but day after day after day, Jonathan did nothing. I want you to think about this. So as the story goes now, David, the little shepherd boy, he shows up one day and he Here's all of this nonsense. And he says, hey, is there not a cause? He's looking to all of the men over there, Jonathan included. Hey, is there not a cause? The battle is the Lord's. Now, I don't want to take time tonight to go through all of the process with David pleading with Saul, Saul giving him permission, Saul giving him the armor, David not taking the armor, David going down to the brook, picking five smooth stones, and puts the stone in his sling, and on the first go, God directed 
that stone into the forehead of Goliath. David defeats the giant. Now people are saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David now has killed his ten thousands. So there's some jealousy going on. But I want to show you something here that I thought was very unique and very applicable to what we're studying. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Samuel. I've mentioned this many times. I love the Old Testament. I love it, I love it, I love it. Now, I want you to see something here. Because David and Jonathan had a very special friendship. And Jonathan makes David a promise. You know, sometimes we make God promises. Scriptures teaches us that it would be better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Maybe some of you are being reminded right now of a promise you made God years ago and you've just reneged on it. You didn't deliver the goods. Let the engrafted word be used tonight and say, oh God, help me to get back to that place of promise. Help me to get back to the place where I said yes and where I made these promises and help me to fulfill what I've committed unto you. But I want you to see something that Jonathan said. And again, I'm putting hearing and saying in the same neighborhood, then slash and doing. So this is what Jonathan said to David in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want you to read with me verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. That's incredible. You, you can see the affectionate friendship that these two had. And so then I want you to notice something here in chapter 20 and verse number four. Then said Jonathan unto David, look at this, this is a promise. Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. What a promise. What a declaration. But the sad part to all of that, the sad part to that saying, the sad part to that promise is this, that Jonathan never again went any farther with David. He promised him all of these things he was going to present all of this stuff to David in which he did. But listen very carefully. When it came down to doing, what are we talking about here, preacher? What has this got to do with James chapter 1? Listen, 
We're talking about not only being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. We can say a lot of stuff, but saying something is a whole lot different than doing it. Jonathan said a lot of stuff, but there is no biblical record of him going any farther with David. Listen, Jonathan did not share in the rejection of David. Jonathan never spent one night in the cave with David when he was running as a fugitive. Jonathan did not spend the next 12 years wandering with David. Like the old saying goes, actions do speak louder than words. And I want to end tonight with James chapter 1, and I want us to look at verse 23 and 24, and we'll wrap it up here. The word says this, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For beholdeth, or for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now picture a man standing in front of a mirror in the morning. He looks in that mirror and he says, man, what a mess. He's standing there and he's totally ungroomed. And he looks there and he says, you know, I need to do something about this. I, I, need, I need to get it straight. I need to get it fixed. I, I need to take care of this. So, but then he procrastinates. And he lets a day go by. He wakes up the next morning. He stands in front of that mirror and he says, man, what a mess. What a mess. This is a train wreck. And he says, you know, I just don't feel like it today. I'll get to it tomorrow. And that goes on for two or three days. He keeps procrastinating. He's looking in the mirror, seeing a mess, says he needs to do something about it, but he seems to never get to it. James is saying this that the next time you look into the word of God, the engrafted word of God, the next time you get into the word and you hear what the engrafted word is saying, James is saying this, don't just stand there and look in the mirror. James is saying the next time that you look into the word of God, do something. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.